So we can look at the global lack of unity and criticize, or we can take it right back to our own homes and say, am I helping? Am I contributing? Am I part of the solution? Or might it be that I'm part of the problem? And we're gonna look at that today. Because unity, true unity, biblical unity, starts right here with each and every one of us. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We have been busy with a series based on our word for the year, which is the word fruit. Has anyone ever here before done a study on the word fruit in the Bible and realized, wow, this is quite amazing? Because it's, it's, it's a great eye-opener for me personally. I hope that it is for you as well. Amen. Fruit is such an important word. And I, I was saying to the, to the one connect group I was with this week, it's, it's, it's like when you um, change car brands, you're now starting to drive this brand. You never used to drive it before. And you suddenly realize, oh my word, there are so many of these cars on the road. Anyone ever had that? How many of you know they were always there? You're just now noticing them because you're driving the same brand. And it's kind of been the same thing for me with this word fruit. And um, I even, I, I checked on my message last year, this time, when I spoke about what I'm going to speak about today. And, and I, I noticed how many times I used the word fruit or fruitful in, in the sermon. And now looking back to see that connection is quite, a, quite amazing. God is amazing. He's, he's just going ahead of us, paving the way, doing things that we, we can just go, hallelujah, glory be to God, amen? All right, so I want to do a quick recap before we get into today's message. We started with a message called, Be Fruitful and Multiply, and we learned that the initial um, blessing that God spoke over mankind and the calling on mankind has not changed. How many of you know that it hasn't changed? We are called to be fruitful and multiply. And what it looks like today is still what it was originally, that he's, he wants his people to physically multiply. Marry, have children. Because then we disciple children, we have more people that are made in the image of God. And we are also to do that with other people by leading them to Christ so that they can be made in the image of God. We are supposed to reproduce the image of God. Amen? Then we spoke about how we are positioned to produce. We are all positioned in some way, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, we are positioned. The question is what what is that position and what is it producing? And we all want to be in a place where we are positioned to produce what God wants us to produce. Amen? Then Harvey spoke about no fear for the year. That was a great message about just understanding where should our focus be so that we do not live in fear of man or circumstances, but we only have holy, healthy fear for God. Amen? And then I spoke about what you sow will show. 
What you sow will show. And we spoke about false prophets and, and things that we might heap up on our ears because it sounds nice, but what are we sowing into our lives? Because it will show. And last week I spoke about the recipe for joy. How many of you guys went home and cooked last Sunday just because we spoke about recipes and ingredients? My kids immediately started baking when we got home. I was like, that's cool. But we spoke about the two main ingredients and there was the special secret ingredient. The two main ingredients is the fear of the Lord and to greatly delight in obeying His commands. Those are the ingredients for a blessed life, a joyful life, a life that's exceedingly happy based on the word's definition of joy and happiness, not people's definition, amen? And that's what we spoke about last week. And the secret ingredient, who can remember what that was? Okay, I'll just do last week's message again because apparently no one listened. What was the secret ingredient? It's, a, it's an easy one. Yes, the love of God. Amen? <laughs> if we love God, we will obey Him. Yes, that's why we are called Love Key. This is all coming together beautifully. I hope you see it. All right. Today's message is called The Fruit of Unity. The Fruit of Unity. Now, if you listen to the word, the grammar in the sentence, you'll know it can mean two things. What produces unity and what does unity produce? So there are things that will cause unity to be a reality. And then that unity, once it's formed, that will produce something. Are you with me? All right. So before we get into that, I want to ask you a few questions today. Because I, I, really, I, I, I hope that these questions and these pictures that I get into your minds help you. Does it help you? Anyone? Three of you. All right. Uh, <laughs> I spoke again to someone this week who told me, listen, if we don't say amen and nod and make all kinds of noises, it's not because we're not listening. It's because we are processing. <laughs> so I will let you process, all right? <laughs> and I will try to be patient, um, all right? So I want to know from you today, how many of you guys own a machine that makes juice, a juicer? Anyone have a juicer or a, a Nutri-Bullet? Or a blender, or one of these, we call it a zhir, a zhir stick, <laughs> one of those, okay. So all of you have some kind of thing, all right. Um, did you want to have that appliance, that appliance? Did you see it and go, I need this in my life? Most of you probably did. Uh, because you thought this will make my life easier, okay? And you wanted, you wanted it because of how it was made, and the purpose it was made for. And then you wanted to actually use it, hopefully. How many of you have bought appliances that are just white elephants in your house? Anyone? No. But this, these ones we normally use a bit more, I think. Now, how many of you built the appliance? How many of you personally built it, put it together? No one, okay. Can, but can you use it? Yes, all right. Does the appliance make something? If it works, it, it should take the stuff you put into it and liquefy it or juice it or make a smoothie, right? And then you get that on the other side. So who produced the fruit and the vegetables that you put in there? Who produced that? Who? God. 
Yeah, ultimately God, yes. But someone who farms, right? He was, he planted, he watered it, okay? Who produced the appliance? Some kind of company, right? They, they have engineers who planned it and put it together. Now, that, so something was produced and now you are putting it through that thing and now the appliance produces something. Can you see that? Now, can your juicer make a cappuccino? If it, if it can, <laughs> you can probably make a lot of money. But typically, a juicer has one function, a blender has one function, right? And that's why you bought it. Now, if, if your juicer, if you put carrots and apples and all kinds of fancy green things on the one end, and you end up with coffee on the other side, how many of you know something is wrong? It's a miracle. No, something is wrong, all right? Now, with that picture in your mind, I want you to think of the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And I want you to answer this question. Is the church of Jesus Christ called, chosen, and instructed to be united, to be one? Are we called to do that, to be that? Yes? Yes. Does anyone say no? Does anyone not agree? All right. So, then we have to ask the question, if we are instructed to be united, then let's do a check. Are we united? Is the church of Christ, the body of Christ, globally united? No? Really? Why, why not, do you think? Well, we know, we know that there are about six major church groups that are, depending on the, the source that you read up on, has anywhere between 35 to 45,000 denominations around the world. So I think we can agree we are not united on a global scale, probably. All right. How about the church in South Africa? Is the church in South Africa then united? Because surely that's easier. Surely that's more attainable, not? What about, oh, you know, are we united in this nation across racial, across financial and language boundaries? Are we united? No. How, okay, so let's take it smaller. How about the Helderberg? Is the Helderberg united? All the churches in the Helderberg working together? Not. Okay, well, what if we, what if we then bring it right into this hall? right into our community, is Love Key Church United? Moi Jamil. And let's take it right into our homes. How many of our marriages are united? How many of our families are united? How many of us wake up every morning and one of the things we think of and live for is to see our families united is to see our church united. So we can look at the global lack of unity and criticize or we can take it right back to our own homes and say, am I helping? Am I contributing? Am I part of the solution? Or might it be that I'm part of the problem? And we're going to look at that today. Because unity, true unity, biblical unity, it starts right here with each and every one of us. Amen?
Good. So, I am going to be upfront with you today, as I always am. I'm going to overwhelm you with scripture. And there's way more scriptures about unity than what I'm going to read to you. But we're going to, I thought some of you might want to have lunch today and dinner. So, you know, I'll stick to these. But with that being said, I want you all to just again remind yourself that if you are a born again Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, then by extension you say, I believe in the word of God. And if I say I believe in the word of God, and we saw this last week, I will not only hear it, I will obey it, all right? So if the word of God says this is how it should be, and this is what you and I should do, then we need to take heed, we need to take it seriously, and we need to apply it, amen? Amen. So, with that being said, How many of you know that we have to take the Bible in its full context and not take one verse and look for meanings that suit us? But we have to see this is true, this is true, this is true. And if anything looks like it might be contradictory, we need to say, Holy Spirit, show me. Why does this seem like a contradiction? And the Holy Spirit will reveal that it's not a contradiction. It actually works together. And this is the truth. Amen? Because I'm saying all of this today, because these scriptures will challenge you to the core. It will make you go, whew. And it might make you ask questions. And I'm trusting with the Holy Spirit that by the end of the service, all of us will be in a place of repentance where necessary and taking action where necessary to all be part of creating a unified church. Good? How many of you would like to see the church of Christ unified? All right? It's going to take all of us dying to self, living for Christ, and loving well. I can actually just stop the sermon there because that's the... (laughs) No, let's read. We're going to start in Psalm 133 because it, it gives us a beautiful, basic promise and value of unity. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like, what is it like? Precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, where where there is unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. How many of us would like the promise of God's blessing? How many of us would like to have life evermore? Unity is the key. Ephesians 4 from verse 1. Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's speaking to a church. He's speaking to a church. Speaking to people who have already said yes to Jesus. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you 
to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Turn to someone and say, I've been called. I've been chosen. I'm going to work worthy. Walk worthy of the calling. Amen. Sorry, I mispronounced that. Now, he goes on to say, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering. How many of you know that the word long-suffering is actually a much better word than patience? Long-suffering. It is the old word for patience or another word for patience. But listen to what it says. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Yo. I like the first part. I have a calling. I'll walk in my calling. But there's not a period. There are a comma. So this is one thought. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with lowliness, humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Comma. This is still part of the same idea. This is an apostle Paul speaking to a church. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of in the bond of sorry, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What does the spirit want? The spirit of God wants unity. The spirit of God brings unity. Amen. Would you agree? What is what is the church instructed to do? Endeavor, that means I'm gonna put in effort to make sure from my side I am part of the solution to stay in what the Spirit has already established. The Spirit has established the bond of peace, a connection. Now I'm gonna endeavor to keep it. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit establishes, but we have to endeavor to keep it. (laughs) I love this part, verse four. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Did you notice how many times the word one is there? God wants us to be one. Maybe that helps you. Colossians 3 verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God. Oh, just turn to someone and say, I'm the elect of God. Maybe without the tongue slap. I'm the elect of, not for that. I'm the elect of God. Come on. Holy and beloved. That's who we are in Christ. Now he's speaking to another church. Paul, the same guy, speaking to another church. He says, you are the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now, because you are, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, Meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. How many of you know that the power to forgive comes from the revelation of what Christ has forgiven each of us of? If I struggle to forgive someone, I still have a lack of understanding what Jesus has forgiven me of. That's a hard word because some of you go, you don't know my pain. You don't know what they've done. I don't. But Jesus knows what you've done. 
Jesus knows where you were heading and he died for you anyway. But above all these things, put on love. Did you know love is something you put on? How many of you know that the language here is not, hey church, I'd like to make a suggestion. If you want to feel like it and if you wouldn't mind, please, pretty please with sugar on top, would you put on love? No. Paul the apostle, the leader of the church says, put on love. It's a command. Do you see that? How many of you love receiving commands? You have to, if you struggle, you still have to die to self a bit. Say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I got a little bit, I got some, I'm feeling it, it's rising up pride. I don't wanna put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Yo, what is bond? It binds together, it brings together, it unites. So love is the bond of perfection. We are called as a body of Christ to be perfect. Perfect in unity. What binds us? Love. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So does, the, does it mean that the peace of God will rule automatically in my life? No, I have to let it. What does that mean? I have to surrender to it so that it will. Can you see that? To which also you were called in one body. There we see that word again. Everyone say one body. And be thankful. Be this, put on, be that. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And from that now you teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Can you see the importance of focusing on outside of myself, the unity of the church, while at the same time I'm serving God and I am thankful. My default mode is grateful. Can you see that? That is what, what, what God is calling us to. He's, he wants us to be in this place. If, if Paul is speaking to a church where everyone has been born again and he's telling them to do these things, would it be because they're not saved yet or would it be because he's not seeing the fruit of what they should be when you are born again? So now he's helping them. He says, let me remind you who you are. You have died to Christ. You've died to self. You're alive in Christ. And if you are, then this is how your life should look. So let me remind you, you need to put off some stuff and you need to put on some other stuff that is godly, heavenly, and kingdom-minded. They are things that we need to do. Actively being obedient. Did you see that if we do have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly in all wisdom, then from that will flow teaching of the word. That fancy word admonishing, it means when you see something is not right in a brother or sister's life, to in love with grace, to go to them and say, hey, this is not in line with God's word. 
Let's talk, let's pray, let's, let's get you through this because it's not part of who you are. Amen? Do you see that, church? All right, so let's jump to one of my favorite chapters in the, in the Word, Romans 12, verse 1. Paul's saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy. In other words, consecrated, set apart for one goal only, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By what? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then we skip down to verse nine. Let love be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? It means that when I say I love you, when I act in love, it's with a real, true heart of love. It is not fake. It is not from a place of my own agenda. He says, abhor what is evil. Remember last week we spoke about what is the fear of the Lord and we see that one of the main elements is if I fear the Lord, I will love what he loves. I will hate what he hates. Abhor evil Cling to what is good. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Do you see how he goes from presenting yourselves as a living sacrifice? And then from verse um, 3 to 8, he talks about all the, 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 he talks about the church and everybody's gifts. And then he comes down to verse 9, which I'm reading to you. Let love be without hypocrisy. And this all leads up to this verse. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Honoring one another, giving preference to one another. What happens when you give preference to someone else? Not my preference, but your preference. Let me lay down what I want, and I'd rather see you uh, walk in what you'd like to be happening. Because we've died to self, we are not selfish. Because the, the self, the prideful, all that stuff will not come in. He goes on to say, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Over all of these values of unity and loving our brothers and sisters, we are actually supposed to love the Lord. And because we love the Lord, we love our brothers and sisters. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. So tough stuff will come, but we need to be patient, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. Who's that? The people among us who are part of God's family who needs that help, given to hospitality. 1 Corinthians 1. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined, there's that word, bond of perfection, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. There are fight, there's fighting, there's arguing. Now I say this, that each of, that each of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? I listen to this guy, I read these books, I go to those conferences, I'm part of this denomination. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. 
Let not our personal weird convictions that has nothing to do with the gospel and Jesus Christ come in between what we should be doing. I want you to remember these words. All speak the same thing. Let there be no divisions among you, but be perfectly joined together in the same mind. In the same mind. Amen? Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That, that term sons is a spiritual term. It refers to everyone who's born again. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Sure. There is neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. See what I mean? All are sons of God, neither male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How powerful is that? In Christ, we are one. Come on, that's powerful. No matter what your race is, no matter what your background is, no matter what your, your language is, your, your, your gender is, we are all one in Christ. Come on. Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord. Everyone say one accord. In one place. Everyone say one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them, uh, unto them divided tongues as of fire and one sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What was the key to that moment? 120 disciples of Jesus Christ who obeyed him when he said, go and wait. The Spirit is coming. And they had to wait a long time while they were afraid for their lives because the Romans and the Jews were trying to kill them. They were in this room, but they were united. They were in one accord. And when that happened, the Holy Spirit came. Powerful. And just a few chapters later in the book of Acts, now that the Spirit has been poured out, most of you will know what happened there. They preached the gospel and the church was birthed the church of Jesus Christ was birthed. Now in Acts 4.32, it says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had all things in common. Wow. They had one heart and one soul. John 13.34 from um, it says, a new commandment I give to you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give to you. What, is it, what does it mean when something is new? They've never heard this before. This is new. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this by what? By the fact that you love one another the way that I loved you, um, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you think Jesus was trying to make a point very clearly because he, he seems to be repeating himself? Do you think it was important for him? He was about to die. This was part of his final message to his disciples. Do you think this was of vital importance? Anyone? Love one another with the love that I loved you with. What is the love that Jesus Christ loved us with? Does anyone know? 
1 John 4. You can go and read it. The love that he gave. He gave his whole life. He gave everything. He, di- he, was, he was lashed 39 times. His back was exposed. He, his organs could be seen. He was bleeding. He couldn't carry the cross. He, he ended up on the cross dying from asphyxiation, from not being able to breathe. The, the most painful death And he did it all for you out of love so that you won't have to go to hell, so that you won't have to be separated from him, so that you will be free. Now that love is the love that he commands his disciples to love one another with. And then there's a promise. If you love one another the way that I loved you, then the world will know you are my disciples. The world the unbelievers, the one who don't know Jesus, the one who are atheists, the one who are agnostics, the one who don't want to acknowledge that there is a higher power, the one who says things like my truth and the universe, those people, will they look at us when we love one another the way Jesus loved us and go, they are disciples of Jesus Christ. What? So if they are not saying that, it means we are not loving one another the way Jesus loved us. John 17, 11. I want to urge you to go and read John 17 on a regular basis. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, praying to God the Father. That whole chapter is a prayer from him. But I'm going to pick it up in verse 11, and then I'm going to drop down to verse 20. It says, now I am no longer in the world. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. But these, my disciples, are in the word, and in the world. And I, Jesus, come to you, Father. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one, as we are one. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. This, what is he referring to? The 11. He's not just praying for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which is us. We all believe because of the, the first disciples. Do you, do you know that? You believe today because they spoke and they spread the word and the Holy Spirit empowered them to be witnesses to the whole world and, and then more people and more people and more people. And now today we can sit here and know the gospel. And Jesus was praying for you. He said, I'm not just praying for these ones, but for those who will believe through them. That's you. Can you just say, take a moment and say, Jesus prayed for me. Jesus prayed for you. And what did he say when he prayed for you? He said that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. (gasps) Excuse me, what? The glory that Jesus got from the Father, he has given to his disciples. And not just those disciples, but those who would come. What? Turn to someone and say, I've received glory from Jesus.
And there's a reason for the glory. The word that implies there's a reason. Why? That they may be one, just as you and I are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. There is so much in this piece of scripture. Your Jesus, your Messiah, the one who died for you, is praying to the Father, and he's praying for you. And his biggest heart's desire is unity among his disciples. That's the biggest thing he's praying for. Can you see that? Can you allow that to rock your world? Can you allow that to overwhelm you? Can you allow that truth to shake the foundations of what you think you believe? When Jesus had an opportunity to pray in front of his disciples for them so that they can record this, that is what he prayed. Did you notice that twice he says, let them be one as you and I are one, that. So there's a reason for the unity. Did you notice that? That the world will know that what? You sent me. So we read first in John 13, he said to his disciples, if you love one another with the love that I loved you, the world will know that you are my disciples. All right? Now he prays and he says, Lord, let them be one. So first a commandment to love and then a prayer that they will be united. And I'm praying this prayer, Father, that they will be one so that if they are one, when they are one, the world, in other words, all the unbelievers will look at the church that's united and they will say, this Jesus really came. He was really sent. Because look at how united these people are. That's impossible with natural thinking and doing. It can only be supernatural. And then who they are preaching about must be real. This Jesus was sent. How many of you know now by reading this that unity is our greatest evangelical tool? So what do you think the enemy is going to attack the most? The enemy is evil, but he's not stupid. He is very, very cunning. The Bible calls him the father of lies. Our father in heaven is called the father of lights. He's the father of lies. What does it mean? He births lies. He is the seed from which lies come. It means he lies the best. It means he deceives the best. Because people in the beginning of time who were walking in the glory of God, where there was no sin, no brokenness, no reason to be upset about anything, no complaining, the weather is perfect all the time, everything you need is around you. Those people, they fell for it. What makes us think we won't fall for it? But we have the word of God. 
We have the opportunity to be in relationship with God. We have the truth of the gospel and we have the power of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we do not have to fall for all his lies. Amen? Some of you will know that at the beginning of the year, I said to you, I believe that there are two elements that we might see this year. That 2024 is the year of more, but it's also the year of war. We need to be ready for a spiritual war. We, and it's, it's the enemy trying to take us out. The enemy doesn't like what's happening at Love Key Church. He doesn't like what's happening at any life-giving church where Jesus is proclaimed and the gospel is preached without compromise. He hates it. And the thing that he will come for the most is the unity in a church. If he can lie to one person, if, if one person opens a door to the enemy to come in to spread lies and rumors and falsehoods, he will. And then that will do damage to the unity of the church. How do we come against this? The word of God tells us. All the scriptures I've read to you now, and I want to read this to you as well. From 1 Corinthians 12. It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each of you have received something from the Holy Spirit that's unique to you, but it's not for you. It's for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you see that? Do you see that, church? For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, another discerning of spirits, and to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one... And the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. At this church, we just do the prophetic. At just this church, we only let the Holy Spirit come and fall on us. At this church, we only do signs, miracles, and wonders. At this church, we only stand still. We don't raise our hands. At this church, we wear ties. If you don't wear a tie, you're not welcome. At this church, we only sing psalms and hymns. We don't sing all this weird new stuff. And a split, and a split, and a split, and a split. And then before we know it, the church's foundation is not Jesus Christ and his love. It is my opinion. I'm building my church on my opinion. I'm building my church on the, the, the interpretation that I think should be on the scripture. Or I'm building my church on one scripture alone. Verse 12, for as the body is one, he's talking about a human body, look at your body, you've got different parts, different members, make this very practical to yourself, think of your body right now. As the body has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. He is saying to us, the body of Christ is exactly the same as your own human body. So, you can actually make the assumption that God gave you a body so that you will understand Him better. 
If you understand your body better, you will understand the church and the kingdom of God better. For by one spirit, everyone say one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Say one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Do you see that? Can anyone say unity in diversity? Listen to this. He gets very practical. I want you to imagine this comically if it helps you. Imagine your foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Imagine that. Your foot wakes up one morning and says, I'm out of here. I'm offended by the hand. You laugh, but that's exactly what happens in the church. Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Did he just decide I'm not of the body and then it's like that? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye. Yeah, imagine that. You are an eye. Then it will be very funny if you say, well, I think. (laughs) If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, God. Listen to that. God has set the members. How many of you know God has put you here? God has set you here. God has given you a plan, a purpose, and a destiny based on the gifts that's on your life. Based on His purposes. Not your own ideas. His purposes for you. And if they, um, each of them in the body just as He pleased. If you are a Christian who has died to self, then you should want what God wants. You should want to do what pleases God. If you don't, you are either not saved or you still have a way to go in dying to self. This is the word of God. It's not my opinion, it's what the Bible says. Don't send me an email, go to Jesus. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. But God composed the body. That's verse 24. Having been greater on, given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, no divide in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. You see the word that? All of this is true so that the members should have the the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. This is the unity the Bible wants us to achieve and to live in. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And as God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. I'm adding that in there because it's so important for us to know that God knows exactly what he's doing. And he has given each a role to play. 
I'm not going to go into the specifics of Ephesians 4. I've read that to you many times, where it speaks about how each joint has something to supply, and all of it is to that so that the body of Christ can come to perfection in the fullness of the stature of the measure of Christ. The fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. That is ultimately where we are heading. If we are stagnating, it's because we haven't died to self and are not loving each other well enough. If we hit a plateau, if we are not reaching more people for Jesus, if each and every one of us is not equipped for the work of ministry, if we are not actively inviting people to come into God's presence and be saved, if we are not actively proclaiming the truth and the love of God, and we should not be surprised that there isn't growth. Now, we've read all these scriptures. How many of you feel properly overwhelmed by the scriptures? Anyone? Hallelujah. What produces unity? What creates unity? We've seen it from the scriptures. I'm going to help you with the list that I've composed. Firstly, individual repentance and salvation. You cannot be part of the body of Christ if you are not saved. Secondly, healthy biblical identity in Christ, knowing who you are as a new creation, knowing that I have died to self, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen? Then, prayer. How many of you know that Jesus Christ's prayer is powerful? How many of you know that your prayer, when it is it's blessed by the Holy Spirit and led by God is powerful. So by prayer, we can get to unity. We also need to have a love for God, a love for our leaders, and a love for our members. The church cannot be unified if we do not truly love God. Because if we love God, then we will obey His word. And His word said, love your fellow members. His word says, honor, respect, and submit to your leaders in church. That's what it says. Unity comes by people who believe that the word is true and they say, I will tithe into this storehouse. It's from generosity, I will give, I will make myself available, I will help those who are in need of help. It is presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. You can't understand that if you haven't been saved and born again. And also not to reach a place and think I'm good. No, there must always be growth. So the next point is spiritual maturity of each individual. Knowing who we are in Christ and knowing and walking in our purpose, we should know whose we are and we should know why we are here. And part of our job as a church is to help you discover who you are, why you are here and to help you walk in that purpose. And then the last two of how do we create unity, how do we get to that place is that each one should be operating in their calling. Each one should know what their gift is, their spiritual gift, and they should be serving, giving, and participating. That is where it starts. Sorry, that's part of how we get unity. And then finally, unity becomes part of who we are when each member individually, daily seek God and has an intimate relationship with Him. It has to be each member's daily practice. Amen? Now, so that's how we get to unity. Now, now that if, when we get to the place that we have unity, what does unity produce? Remember the questions in the beginning? 
what produces unity and what does unity produce? So we have seen now from the scriptures and from the list, this is what helps us to get to a place of unity. Now, what does it produce when we have it? Well, we read from Psalm 133, it, it creates God's blessing. Where there's unity, God commands a blessing. Amen? How many of you would like to see God command a blessing on Love Key Church? On every life-giving church in the Helderberg, the Western Cape, South Africa, in the world. Come on. We want to see that. Unity also produces what we saw from John 13 and 17. It proclaims to the world that God has sent Jesus. When there's unity, they will know that, he, that Jesus was sent. We saw that. Um, it shows whose Jesus' disciples truly are. The ones who love each other the way God, Jesus loved them. Unity begets unity. Unity will produce more unity. Because people want to be part of where God is operating in the love of God. It's attractive. It's beautiful. People want to be part of it. It exposes more people to the love of God through evangelism. It makes the church more attractive and appealing. And overall, we are more effective as the body of Christ. Amen? Now, what stops unity from being produced? You can basically take my first list and just do the opposite. We will not get unity if there's a lack of repentance and salvation. We will not get unity if there's a lack of understanding our true identity in Christ. When insecurity of an individual uh, makes it difficult for them to love, support, and celebrate others like the Bible says. If you are insecure, you cannot do those things. If you have a lack of, if, if individuals in the church, if there's a lack of prayer, if there's a lack of love for God, leaders, and fellow members, when we have uh, when, when too few present themselves as living sacrifices, when no or too little spiritual maturity is among the members, when there's a lack of willingness to serve and to give with the right motivation, and if there's an overall lack of personal spiritual disciplines among the members, all these things will hinder unity forming. Now, if when we have unity, we've seen what it produces, but what might threaten unity once it is established? First one, a lack of the fear of the Lord. If we let that go because we get comfortable, we will start seeing unity attacked. Pride, which is the opposite of the fear of the Lord, which leads to rebellion, which leads to jealousy, selfishness, a lack of love, unhealthy familiarity, offense that is not dealt with, emotional decision-making, sinning against one another with no remorse or godly sorrow, repentance, running own agendas regarding a different gospel. In other words, getting bored of the word that you th you're receiving and trying to find another gospel that seems lacquer to your ears. Another thing that can, hint, that can um, compromise unity once it's achieved is false prophets coming in sheep's clothing. It's people in the church trying to heap up teachers outside of church that they think sound better. And yes, this can be spiritual attacks, demonic assignments infiltrating through people that they can be in the church or they can come into the church. And then we can see spirits like Jezebel, the spirit of Judas and Absalom take over and start to turn people away from unity. The last two that can cause unity to be compromised is a lack of discernment and boredom. 
allowing yourself to be bored. That the, holy, that, that the gospel is not so, such good news anymore. I want to hear something else. Lastly, I want to talk about this. What if one or more members of the body is actively causing disunity? In the beginning of today, I said to you, we always have to look at the Bible in context. And we've seen now the ideal for the body of Christ is that we all move in love for one another and in unity. Amen? But there are circumstances that the Bible speak of when a member or members are actively causing disunity, offense, and problems within the family of God. And if they have been spoken to, and if they have not changed, then action needs to be taken. Why? Because we need to protect the unity of God. We always love the person. We always pray for the person. Those people are always welcome if they have repented and have made right. But we do not allow the spirit of disunity or anything bringing damage into a church. Amen? So it's from that perspective. So what do we do? From the scriptures above, it's clear that the church has no function as a body, uh, has to function, sorry. The church has to function as a body with different members. And there's supposed to be a supernatural unity in the beautiful diversity God has created. Would you agree with that? It's clear from scripture. We've seen it can be challenging and a long road to achieve true unity, to produce a healthy body with all its members intact, doing what they're supposed to do. But as with the human body, sometimes some cells can be compromised and they can mutate and become like a cancer. Now, I want you to listen to a quote from the World Cancer Research Fund about how cancer works. It says, cancer develops when the normal processes that control cell behavior fail and a rogue cell becomes the progenitor of a group of cells that share its abnormal behaviors or capabilities. A tumor is a clump of cells that can usually be removed surgically in order to save the whole body from the cancer spreading. Other kinds of cancers needs other kinds of treatments. But I want you to imagine that the body of Christ is healthy, but then at some point, there's one cell, there's one part, there's one part of the body that's starting to be, act in a rogue way. What does rogue mean? It means away from what, what God wants. I'm doing my own thing. As soon as that happens, and as soon as they are able to affect other body parts, we have a problem. I want to read to you Matthew 8, 15. It says, Moreover, if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. A heathen is someone who doesn't believe and all the Jews hated tax collectors. So Jesus is saying to them, if there's been a process of trying to reestablish through repentance, but it hasn't worked, they need to be put out. And we saw on this same point, I preached it uh, last week, I reminded, of, uh, I reminded us of Romans and of 1 John where it states specifically, if anyone actively causes division and offense, we need to avoid them. 
because they're acting as unbelievers. And this seems very harsh, and this seems very difficult for us to process. And because some of us, especially those of us who are a bit more motivated by our hearts, we will say, no, we can't treat someone like that. Jesus would never do that. Well, Jesus said that there's a process in place, and eventually, if it shows that there's no remorse, then there has to be action taken. So we, what are we protecting? Are we willing to let one individual upset the whole body of Christ just so maybe someday they might change? Or are we going to protect the unity of the church, each one of us? How do we do that individually? Very practical. If you hear anyone speak negatively of anything happening in the church or anyone in the church, you just say, I'm not going to have this conversation. You should chat to that person and sort it out. Amen? We will not... We have to be people that don't tolerate gossip, that don't tolerate slander, that don't tolerate character assassination. But we are always focused on what Jesus wants us to do. And we all need to check ourselves, say, where am I at? Am I part of building unity or am I detracting from unity by the words that I speak and the things that I do? Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.